I've entitled today's sermon, Amazing Grace, and we know those words, we sang them earlier, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I don't know if you've ever seen the film, Amazing Grace, which tells the story of William Wilberforce, who was a Christian man who worked to end slavery in the United Kingdom. But there's a scene in that film where an elderly John Newton is speaking to Wilberforce. And he says this, he says, I'm an old man and now blind, but two things I know. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. And those are the two things we all need to, to know and believe, that we are great sinners, but Christ is a great Savior. Let's remind ourselves of what we've been looking at in Isaiah 6. First of all, Isaiah's vision of God in verses 1 to 4. He saw the Lord high and exalted, or high and lifted up, a God who was far above him. Then we thought about the earth stood to serve him, these great angelic creatures who were worshiping this Lord, and they wouldn't even look at this God. These were amazing creatures, burning creatures, and yet they would hide from God's presence because of His majesty. And they cried, holy, 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 which speaks of how God is, is pure, God is separate, God is so removed from us. He's above us in so many ways. And how the whole earth is full of His glory, His worth, His greatness can be seen in the world that He's made around us. So this vision of a God that was so great, and at the presence of their voices, the whole place shook. Such was the majesty of God. And then we had Isaiah's vision of himself. We were thinking about last week, and we think of how he said, woe is me. Woe is a, a term of doom. He says, I am lost or undone. His view of himself was unraveling. He thought he was a pretty good guy, a pretty okay fellow. But now, in the presence of God, his true nature is revealed. His sinfulness is aware and becomes aware of in the light of God's glory. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And remember, this was a prophet. He would have been revered for what he said, but he knew there was sin in everything he did. He acknowledged that sin. And he says, I live among a people of unclean lips. He, he was aware of the sin that was around him. He wasn't going to hide from it. You know, at times I think we are much more reluctant to condemn sin than God is. And then he says, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The true picture of himself, his true knowledge of himself, his true vision of himself came as he had a right picture of God. So here is Isaiah. He's before this awesome God, this holy and pure God. He's now so aware of his sin. He's in absolute terror. He's this tremendous feeling of hopelessness and helplessness before this God. He just feels that he's absolutely doomed. Is there any hope to be found? This leads us on to Isaiah's vision of grace from verse 6 on. The answer to Isaiah's great problem here, the answer to his feeling of utter devastation and guilt before God was not to be found in anything that he would do. As a sinner, he had 
nothing to offer. And grace is God doing for a sinner that which we cannot do for ourselves. Grace is God doing for a sinner that which we do not deserve. It's a gift which we don't deserve. Let's see how this grace worked. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, let's break this down. Let's think of all, first of all, about the, the burning coal. This coal, it was burning. It was hot. It had to be held in tongs by the, the seraph. And as it touched Isaiah's lips, it would have burned deeply into him. It was touching the point of where he felt his guilt. It was touching his uncleanness, his unclean lips. And this reminds us, as you think of that picture of a, a burning coal coming to his sinful life, it's giving us that the answer to sin is nothing light and nothing easy. Paul talks about, in becoming a Christian, how we have to die. Becoming a Christian is not an easy thing. It's not a minor thing. It's something that really impacts us. It's something that burns deep, if it's real at all. So, it's a burning coal. And then we see that it's from the altar. The coal from the altar speaks of how it comes from the place of sacrifice at the temple, sacrifice for sin. And this reminds us that the only answer to our sin is the place of sacrifice. And of course, all the Old Testament sacrifices were pointing forward to Jesus, the last great sacrifice for sin. And it has to be his sacrifice. It has to be the blood of Jesus that has to be applied to our sinfulness. It alone can deal with our sin. Our trust, in order for us to be saved, in order for us to be right with God, it has to be not in anything we do, not in good works, not in religious duties, not in being a member of a church not in being baptized, not in taking communion, but our trust has to be in Christ and in Christ alone and what He has done on the cross. Our trust is not to be 90% Christ and 10% about what we do. It's not to be 99% Christ and 1% about what we do. Our hope has to be 100%. There's nothing. Think of Isaiah here. He was hopeless. He was helpless. He felt doomed. He felt guilty. He felt ruined. His only hope is in what God would do for him. And doesn't the hymn put it well? Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to thy cross we bring. In Christ alone, my hope is found, is the way the Gettys put it. Have you this understanding of grace? 
Have you this understanding of being like Isaiah before the Lord there, that there's nothing you can contribute? Your only hope is in the salvation that God has provided through the sacrifice of Jesus. This understanding of grace, it only comes when we first have an understanding of God's holiness, and then secondly, have an understanding of our sinfulness before God. We're unclean, we're dirty, we've rebelled against the Lord, we've rejected Him. Let me ask you a question to test you to see if you properly grasped this idea of grace. Do you believe you deserve to go to hell because of your sin? Do you think your sin means you deserve God's everlasting judgment in hell. There's no hope for you. You will not understand grace until you can answer yes to that question. You understand that you deserve hell for your sin. You deserve nothing but judgment from God. And anything beyond judgment that you receive is entirely grace. Something you don't deserve and something you can't achieve for yourself. If your answer to that question, do you think that you deserve hell? If, that, if your answer to that question is no, you haven't grasped fully God's holiness and your sinfulness. You haven't realized your need of grace. You need to have this sense that Isaiah has here when he cried, I'm ruined, I'm undone, I have no hope. I remember when I was assistant in Wellington Street, visiting a man who didn't go to church, and I was taking him through a wee gospel booklet, talking to him about how we were made by God to know God, but how we're separated from God through our sin. And there's nothing that we can do, that our good deeds, our religious duties, none of that will get us right with God. And I was amazed at his reaction. I can't remember his exact words. This was over, well, over 20 years ago, but it was something like, is there any hope? Is there any hope? And I rejoiced because he had grasped what was said. He had grasped that in himself there's no hope. And as then, I was able to go on and talk to him about Jesus and his death. In Christ alone, my hope is found. So we have the burning coal. We have it from the altar. And then we see your guilt is taken away here in verse 7. This means that Isaiah is now declared as righteous in God's sight. Let me go back to those verses we began the service with in Romans 3. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it goes on, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His word, to be received by faith. 
It's understanding that we are like Isaiah before the Lord here, feeling undone, feeling guilty. And our only hope is that we'll be redeemed. Our only hope is that God will send someone to be a sacrifice for us. And Jesus has done that. And we receive this through faith. We receive this salvation as we trust in Christ alone. The sinner who doesn't have saving faith is guilty before God, is under God's wrath, is under God's curse. But when the sinner comes to saving faith, when they come to grasp hold of Christ in faith, all changes. In an instant, they are now righteous. They're declared right with God. They're innocent before God. Their guilt is removed. And this is so important because in order to have peace with God, it is only through trusting in Jesus. But this is also important for us to have peace within ourselves. This is one of the big problems of many people in society today, is they do not have peace within, peace in their hearts. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. The way we have peace in our minds, peace in our hearts, is through what Jesus has done. It's a modern thing where people speak of the importance of forgiving yourself. You'll never read about that in the Bible. The crucial thing is not forgiving yourself. Peace comes when we understand that in Jesus we are forgiven by God. His blood has cleansed us. And then we see here your sin is atoned for. The next thing that is said. The word atone means to cover. It means the sin and ugliness of our lives is now covered with Jesus. It's like putting on a, a righteous robe. We are there in our shabby clothes, we're in our rags of sin, and the beautiful cloak of the life of Jesus covers us. And as God looks at us, He doesn't see us in our shabbiness and our sin, but He sees us covered with the beauty of Jesus. You see, the big difference in the day of judgment is not that some people are better than other people, and that makes a difference. No, that's not the truth. The big difference in the day of judgment is that some people will have their sin covered as they've trusted in Jesus, and others not. Which is you? Is your sin covered? Because you're trusting in Christ alone. So there we see Isaiah's vision of grace. And then secondly, and this will be quite short, we see the impact of grace from verse 8 to 13. Verse 8, we read this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah's willingness to go here was down to his vision of grace. It's interesting, he doesn't say, here am I. He says, here I am. He, he knows that he's the person that the Lord is speaking to. He knows he's the person who has to respond. It is as Isaiah understood God's holiness, his sinfulness, and the answer of grace, that his heart is so filled with thankfulness, he is compelled to respond. I think there are echoes here of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, where in thinking of himself and the role as an ambassador, and in thinking of Jesus' death, he says this, 
Christ's love compels me. He says, I've no other choice but the love of Jesus, the salvation of Christ that I've received. I have to do it. Not that I'm forced reluctantly to do it, but I do it with delight because of His grace to me. You see, when a, a Christian loses their willingness to serve, when they lose their willingness to go, when they lose their willingness to be put out for the Lord, the problem normally is they have lost sight of grace. And the great trap of the devil is to move us in our thinking away from a Christianity that is 100% grace to a Christianity that includes some merit on our behalf and what we do. A Christianity in which the thinking becomes, because of what I do, I deserve something from the Lord. And when we begin to think, I deserve, we have lost sight of grace. And when things don't go our way, we then lose heart. We then can be in get the wrong attitude and give up. This is a Christianity that cripples, a Christianity which we think we deserve, a Christianity that has lost sight of grace. And the answer is to go back to Isaiah's vision of God, Isaiah's vision of himself, to Isaiah's vision of grace. And we need to take time, that's why we read the Bible, to meditate on these truths, to think on these truths, and let these truths not only fill our minds, let them be truths that are really felt at the heart of our being. It's when we have an understanding and are amazed by God's grace to us, this holy God saving a sinner like me through His Son, when we're amazed at what God has done, it's then we're willing to go and to serve. And in the second half of this chapter, we see why maintaining this vision of grace is vital. Notice what Isaiah's ministry is going to be like. First of all, it's going to be a ministry that will be rejected. Look at verse 9. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but, not but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Isaiah is being told that when he goes and preaches God's truth, the impact of preaching God's truth in these people with such hard hearts is that their hearts will get harder and harder. How would Isaiah persevere in a ministry where he would constantly be rejected like that? It's his understanding of grace. And secondly, it is a ministry of judgment, verse 11. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away. Speaking here of the exile that's going to come to the people of Judah. So, Isaiah's service was not easy. Isaiah's service was going to be tough. He would be rejected. People would not respond to his message. He would share this message in the midst of judgment. How could he persevere? A few pats on the back and saying, you're doing a good job, Isaiah. 
things will change and get better? What kept him going? It was his understanding of grace. It was his vision of God in his holiness. It was his vision of himself and his sin and his vision of salvation that came from the burning coal. You know, in serving the Lord, we must not be romantic. We must not be unrealistic. Serving the Lord is difficult the days we live in, whether it's children's work, youth work, or any sort of work for the Lord. It's growing increasingly difficult and more opposition. And I encourage you to come tonight. We're going to continue this thought tonight looking at Timothy. How will you keep going on as a Sunday school teacher? How will you keep going on as an elder? How will you keep going on as a GB leader or BB leader or whoever, whatever your role is serving is? What will keep you going on? It has to be a right understanding of grace. And how do you know if your understanding of grace is what it should be? I think one of the ways we know that we really are focused on grace is when we have hearts of praise and worship. Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's when we have that sense of wonder at God. It's that that's the fuel to sustain us. So as we think of a winter's work, let's pray. Let's pray that God would fill us with His Spirit, fill us with His truth. So we did this picture of this majestic and holy God, a right picture of us as sinners before Him, but by God's grace, redeemed sinners through trusting in Jesus.